Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody and welcome back we have with us one of our favorite and, and return stars anya combs from Hi. kickstarter so this is the time for the next hour that if you have questions about your kickstarter a kickstarter how you do a kickstarter this is where you want to ask them so let's start where we always do anya just tell everybody who you are and what you do Sure. Hi, I'm Anya. I'm the director of games at Kickstarter. Um, I've been in the games industry about 13 years. Um, I got my start in Flash games. I did develop relations and licensing and content and production and all, all the things at Addicting Games for a number of years. Um, so I worked for Nickelodeon for a long time too, since uh, Addicting Games was owned by Nickelodeon. Uh, I quickly realized that the corporate thing was not for me. So I quit that job in a blaze of glory <laughs> uh, and moved on to Kickstarter where I've been for about five years. Um, I started as a games outreach person and worked my way up to director of games where now I run the games category, which is, they put they put me in charge. I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but I try my best every day. So you, you got rid of the corporate life from going from one mm -hmm. corporation to a smaller corporation. Definitely not a corporation. Uh, really? We're actually, yeah, we're actually a B Corp, so, or we're public benefit corporation. So 5% of our proceeds goes, is donated to um, uh, arts organizations or anything to help fight systemic racism, which is really cool. I did so. not know that. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. It's in our charter. So if you go to kickstarter.com, look at our charter, all that information is available. And it's all done, like all decisions on as to like where that 5% goes is done by staff. It's not done by our shareholders or our board or anything like that it's all done by staff that is super cool yeah mm -hmm. and generally i put charters up there on the same level as eula's that i read so mm. you have to tell me these things because i won't see i won't know it otherwise i don't know why you would quite honestly <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's just dive on in you know if you've got questions <laughs> we're out there on on twitter linkedin facebook youtube something else twitch yeah. yes i have a question is my sound better if i have my head because i can only hear out of one headphone mm -hmm. so is it better if i take these out is that better or worse it doesn't change great and i'm not gonna wear these because i can only hear in one ear they look cool i can just wear them i just they won't be plugged in but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if you've got questions out there, drop them in chat. No matter where you are, they're going to pop into you know our stream. We're going to see them. I'm just going to answer them, and everybody's going to get smarter 
So from the Discord, that's where we'll start. Can you give some tips on how often to post updates and what to include in them? Is it better to do many smaller updates or a few bigger ones? Yeah, that's a great question. So fun fact about Kickstarter. So we have 15 different categories. We're not just games. There's music, there's art, there's dance, there's theater, there's food, there's fashion, there's design and technology. There's, you know, I guess 10 others from there, something like that. Um, <clears throat> So every category is a little bit different on Kickstarter. So for example, for the music category, you wanna update like once a week. Games is unique where the games category, you have to update every other day. So your updates don't need to be robust. They can be like, we're 20% funded, congratulations to us. <laughs> um, they can be more robust than that. They can You can have like a full dissertation, it's totally cool. It's kind of up to you and what your community wants and needs and what they're asking of you. Um, but updating every other day just sort of shows your backers like, hey, we're taking this seriously. We're definitely a part of this process. Had to remember to add myself back in there. So I was like, where did he go? <laughs> I'm hiding. Yeah. <laughs> So how much should be in the first trailer for your game? Yes. Okay. Great question. So you want to have 30 seconds of gameplay that's going to be as close to the final game as possible. That's like the most important thing to have. If you can include things of like who you are, why you're coming to Kickstarter, like that's great and that's awesome. Uh, but the 30 seconds of gameplay absolutely needs to be there. So I sort of recommend like 30 seconds of gameplay in the beginning, 30 seconds of gameplay at the end. You can also take like GIFs. GIFs, not GIFs, I am correct. Uh, you can take little GIFs from that 30 seconds of gameplay and splice them throughout the page so people kind of have a good sense of what's going on. But again, that 30 seconds of gameplay is absolutely key. So uh, right here, right in chat, uh, Mike says our Kickstarter was successful. How long should we still cross post general social media updates to the Kickstarter? Uh, that's up to you. Uh, if your Kickstarter is successful, like, how much do you want to post? I don't get to determine that for you. That's up to you as a creator. Hey, wait, I'm, I'm jumping too fast here. Okay, so and this is a big one. Great. How do you run a successful Kickstarter campaign if you have little to no community? You can't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, uh, so, okay. This is a great question. Uh, you definitely need to grow your community before you come to Kickstarter. Uh, you want to look at it in the sense of numbers. This is kind of a numbers game in a sense, right? So let's say that you have like your funding goal is $50,000. And let's say that your like base price for the game is $20. So take your funding goal, divide it by that base price amount. And that will give you how many people need to you need to have at that specific base price amount. So in this specific situation, again, these are made up numbers please don't follow these specific numbers. 50,000, let's say that the base price is $20. That gives you 2,500 people that need to pledge $20 each. So your goal should be to double that amount. So you should have like 5,000 people. Now, when I say that people think like, Anya, the director of Games of Kickstarter is saying that you need 5,000 people on Twitter. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to have 5,000 people within a specific community. So if that's like 1,000 people on Twitter, 1,000 people on Facebook, 2,000 people in a mailing list and then like you make up for everything else in your Discord, that will equate 5,000 people. You want to make sure that you have like a wide variety of people within specific communities to build a larger community. Um, so we typically recommend like three to six months of just community building. The 
advantage, which is a weird word to say in these fun times, uh, is because everybody is on their computer all the time, the amount of communities that have popped up and grown through Discord is wild. So like, make sure that you are part of as many discords as you possibly can. Um, every conference essentially has a discord at this point. So like PAX has a discord. If you're a tabletop person, Gen Con has a discord. Um, every company has a discord. Every game has a discord. Every publishing company, everybody has a discord. So like make sure that you're a part of as many discords as you possibly can be. Okay. How do you manage being a part of a whole bunch of discords without just getting sensory overload? You get sensory overload. <laughs> Because I'm in way more than I should be. Then, so, you know. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm in a lot too. I mute a lot of them and then I'll just kind of periodically check in. There's a couple that I'm like pretty active in. And I know those are sort of like my core discords. I sort of view it as like all social media, right? So like you get to curate the, the experience that you have. I'll be perfectly honest on my like Instagram, on my Twitter, on my Facebook. I mute most people. Unless it's like someone I really, I know really well, someone I'm like constantly like engaging with on a personal or professional level, whatever it is, depending on the platform. I mute most things just because it's too much like brain space for me to handle and I have a limited amount of brain space. Um, so just like for my own sanity and mental health, I mute a lot of things that I engage with. So I get to curate that experience. And so that's exactly what I do with the Discord. I have, I'm in, I think I'm in seven right now and I have, three that I'm actively participating in. That's about, I'm in far more than that, but I think that three to five number is all you can really handle. I mean, everybody's different. Some people are like this, I love it. I'm in Discord all the time and I'm in a hundred different Discords. And some people are like, I have one and it's too much. And like, that's totally okay. It's a personal, like it's your personal threshold and that's great. Figure that out for yourself. <laughs> so, all right, that's a good question. Are there particular discords that developers can use to grow their community or raise awareness for their projects? Yeah. Um, so again, it kind of depends on what your project is. I would say if you're like, I'm really into retro platformers, there's a place for you. Uh, you just kind of need to find what that is. I don't know that. I don't know every discord that has ever existed, shockingly. Um, but I would definitely encourage you to kind of find the one that works for you. So if that's a specific like retro platformer community, if that's um, if that's a FPS community, if that's like whatever it is that you're looking for, it's definitely out there. That's the beauty and also the terrifying thing of the internet is literally whatever you're looking for is out there. Um, so it's just a matter of sort of finding what that is. I would add if you can find something to like your local community. So like for me living in New York City, there's a New York gaming discord that I'm a part of. If you can find that if you're like Minneapolis or Austin or San Francisco, these are obviously like large metropolitan communities, but something that's close to you. If you like live near San Francisco, find what the San Francisco discord is. If you live near Seattle, let's say that you're in Spokane, uh, find what that specific discord is. So I want to ask you to rehash my favorite yet terrifying statistics. Let people Thanks. know how much of your funding is going to come from people who are not already in your community. As a first time creator, it's roughly 30 to 34%. So you are essentially responsible for bringing in about 65 to 70% of your community, or I'm sorry, of your funding. Those are scary numbers and I understand. Uh, Kickstarter is an interesting space where the more that you launch projects, those numbers actually 
tip a little bit. So specifically what I mean is, and this sounds counterintuitive, but I'll explain. Uh, just in the sense of you're like, I ran a project, I can never exhaust this again, right? Um, and that's actually not true. What we found is the more that you run projects on Kickstarter and you come out with the thing that you said you're going to come out with, you're essentially proving to people like, yeah, I, I, I'm a game creator, I made this thing, it came out, go me, uh, <laughs> the more people are gonna follow you. So that 30 to 34% ends up being like 40% which then turns into 45%, which then turns into 50%. So you actually end up growing a specific community on Kickstarter in addition to the community that you've built. Which is a long way of saying as well, Kickstarter is not a solution that's going to magically give you a bunch of money. You need it, is, to... it is a piece of the large game development pie, essentially. So from Ivan on our Discord, what kind of goals should they include in their Kickstarter project? Goals in the sense of... I believe he's talking about post-launch. Stretch goals. Oh, stretch goals. Great. Yeah. So first of all, don't ever launch your project with visible stretch goals. Um, just please don't do that. Uh, the reason you don't want to do that is because the stretch goals can end up taking over the project. So your project needs to be about the core amount. So if that core amount, again, I'm just using $50,000 because what we found for video games is about 50,000 to 150,000 is sort of the sweet spot. Um, that doesn't mean that anything less than 50,000 is like lesser than or anything over 150,000 is like too much. It's, we're just saying this is about the sweet spot of what people use for funding. Um, so for stretch goals, so, okay, here's the thing about stretch goals. I think the best way, so two things actually, one, uh, you don't need to have stretch goals. They're not required. The reason stretch goals exist on Kickstarter is actually because of the games community. <laughs> like we are the community that created stretch goals for Kickstarter as a whole, because I don't know, we just really adopted this platform as a funding source. Um, secondly, the stretch goals need to be things that are an enhancement to the game that if you had this amount of money, you would be so excited to use it. I've seen things, oh God, I hate to call people out, the worst stretch goal I still have ever seen is someone was like, for a million dollars, I'll dress up as a giant baby and run around a convention. And I was like, how does this add to the experience of your game? Like, what is it that your backers are like, yep, super glad I got to play this game. And I sure do love this giant man baby running around. <laughs> like, are you moving? Okay, just checking. Um, so the stretch goals need to be like, things that are specific to the game. So if that's something like additional levels, higher art, uh, localization, that's a big one. Um, even the opportunity for something like, uh, we're gonna go from 2D to 3D, right? Like it's a, that's a massive stretch goal. That's a hell of a stretch goal. Yeah. I would also say, please don't promise a console port. If you haven't talked to Nintendo, Microsoft or PlayStation, I'm amazed at how many times I have to say that people are like, oh yeah, I'll just do like a, I'll do like a switch port for $10,000. And I'm just like, I, I need to know everything about this deal. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, I, it doesn't surprise me that that happens a lot, but that is a really bad idea. Getting excited and, and that's great. And you should like stay excited, but make sure that you sort of channel that excitement into realistic expectations. So if you haven't talked to Nintendo, if you haven't talked to Microsoft and you haven't talked to PlayStation, maybe don't promise it. 
So what are some of the popular contest events, social goals that you've seen? Social goals. Yeah. So things like if we reach this amount of followers on Twitter, we'll announce uh, another level or we will reveal a new character. It's about if we can get here, we're going to reveal this thing. Right. So like what's what's sort of the proposition value of reaching this goal that that is exciting, exciting for the community to be able to see and show. So this this question from Salam Brothers touches on what we were just talking about a second ago. What happens with the successful campaigns that you can see that don't have a lot of followers or social media? You know, how if, if you don't have that community, mm -hmm. what strategies can you use to increase your chances of success? Engage with the community. Frequent updates, convince them that you're Frequent actually going updates. to do it. Like if you just have a Twitter and you're like, cool, I have one, not doing anything with it, but I have one. What? <laughs> like you got to post, you got to engage, you got to talk to people, you got to be a part of it. You got to get like, you know, there's so many incredible content creators and developers and artists and producers and designers. There's so many talented people out there that are doing things. Why would you not want to participate in the conversation? So participate in the conversation. And this is one of the things that we talk about with publishers. And it's also, I would say, even more true with, with backers on Kickstarters and consumers mm -hmm. are actually a whole lot more picky and, and judgmental than, than publishers are. You're trying to convince them that what you're doing is actually going to happen, you know, that you're going to ship it. And when so you launch a Kickstarter project, you're not pitching to a publisher. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. That's one of the biggest pitfalls I see is people think that they're pitching to a publisher. And it's different. So, I mean, on that aspect, so how is it, we do a whole lot on our, on our server and on our show about how you pitch to publishers and what you <laughs> should do with publishers and all this other stuff. You've been on both sides of the table. How does that pitch change when yeah. you're pitching to the consumers versus you're pitching to the publishers? Well, I would say that the general public doesn't know what GDD stands for, which is game. Right. Uh, so it's a big thing. Uh, publishers typically can also kind of like you can show a publisher a prototype and a publisher, a good publisher should be able to kind of see through whatever that is and say, like, cool, there's something really interesting here. Um, so I think about it in the sense of like this. So if we as consumers who consume content, um, we'll just take movies for an example here. Now, let's say that the way that you decide if you want to spend $25 to go see a movie, whatever it is now when theaters are open up, open back up, right? I'm just using $25 because I feel like that's how much it is. I know it's cheaper. I just feel like it's $25. I don't think it's that much cheaper, especially where you are. I mean, it's yeah. like almost that where I am and I live in the mountains of North Carolina. So, <laughs> so let's say that uh, the only way that you can watch, you, you can get a preview of a movie is a script. So you have to read a script and be like, ah, oh, yes, I can definitely hear the tone of every character. And I am definitely going to spend the time to read through the script to, to see if I actually want to see this movie versus watching a trailer. Uh, pitching to a movie studio is pitching through script. Pitching to a publisher, if you're a game developer, is pitching through a game design document with a, like a little bit of, you know, some playable demo of some kind, uh, but that's not final because the publisher still wants to be able to kind of like be a part of that process. 
pitching to the general public if they should go see your movie is a trailer because it's 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 essentially final, but like there's always like a little bit of room wiggle room there. So it's the same thing with sort of like pitching games on Kickstarter. Your game's probably about 50% of the way done and you need people on Kickstarter to come help you finish whatever that is. How many in the projects that you see from the game development side, how many of them are we actually honest to God need this money to finish the game? And how many of them are marketing tools? I'd say it's probably like 10% are marketing. It's okay. it's a lot small, smaller than people think. It does happen and that's fine. Um, marketing's part of the process. I don't think we should ever sort of look down on people using Kickstarter for like marketing purposes. Um, that's still part of the process of making a game, right? So like, cool, the game is done. How do you get it out there? You can't just uh, put something on Steam and hope for the best. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, so we've got another one from the Discord here. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know more about when Kickstarter staff start looking at projects to consider the project we love tags. Uh -huh. I thought it would be during pre-launch reviews since I swear I've seen projects launch with it and they describe that review as being done manually by the staff but mine ended up being approved automatically. And I'm not sure if I've missed my chance to launch with that tag. So the projects we love badge, including this includes anything on Kickstarter, any sort of promotion, front page placement, newsletter placement, social media, anything. That's all managed, hand managed by a curation team. Um, my, one of my and my team's roles, so I have, I have two people that work with me on the games team. We are here to advocate for creators. We aren't able to see every single project that launches on Kickstarter. Keep in mind at any given point, I, I checked today, there's like 700 live games projects. So like, yeah, I'd love to wow. be incredibly familiar with every single one of them, but we're a small team. We have a lot of work to do. We can't be as like intimately familiar as we would like to be. So we kind of have to rely on creators to say, hey, my project's live, or hey, my project is coming, here's the date of the project. Anything you can do to help me? Um, the worst is when people are like, uh, hey, I have like two days left in my project. Is there any way that you can promote me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I wish I could, I really do, but no, I can't, it's not that easy. Um, so like telling us about your project early, contacting us early and often is honestly the best course of action here. It's, it is not, it's not based on metrics. It's not like, oh, as soon as you hit this amount of funding, you get a project you love badge, or like as soon as you hit this number of backers, you get a badge. It's all hand curated. So are there key indicators that you look for that, you know, so what with 700 projects, mm -hmm. what makes it, makes one get like up, on the radar a little bit where you start paying attention? Yeah, um, so like the easiest way to answer that is like, I wanna see that you've put some effort in. So like, if you don't have a video and you have no images and you have one reward and you have like a paragraph, that's not a great representation of what we want to showcase on Kickstarter. We wanna see that there is like a level of work being done. So we wanna see that you have a video, we wanna see that you have images, we wanna see that you like have a like five to seven diverse set of rewards. We wanna see that you've posted updates. We wanna see that you're responding to comments. We wanna see that you're engaging with the project versus just kind of putting it up there and hoping for the best. Um, that's the easiest indicator for us. So, yeah, the um, don't if we get the very same thing, it's like we launched on Steam, but no one's buying it. What can we yeah. do to promote it? It's like you, you need to have done that like six months ago. So, um, is there a solid plan of actions to ensure that your Kickstarter campaign is successful? 
no, because there's no guarantees on Kickstarter. Uh, I, I can't in good faith say yes. I can give you the tips and the tricks. I can give you the tools and I can give you the resources. Sometimes stuff doesn't hit. That's the easiest. That's like the most honest answer that I can give. Um, I would just say like, I think there's a little bit of a, a misstep here in terms of how we look at projects that don't fund. What I hear a lot from creators is like, oh yeah, I had a, I failed on Kickstarter and I'm just like, okay, well, what happened? And they're like, well, my project didn't fund. And I was like, so, yes, you're, so your project true. didn't fund. Yeah, it was failed. It failed. Well, well no, like that doesn't necessarily, that, literally all that means is that your project just didn't fund. You can come back. Like, what did you learn from that process? Oh, well, you know, I realized that like, I didn't grow as much of a community as I probably should have. So do you want to relaunch? Right? Like there's, it's okay if your project doesn't fund the first time around. It's totally okay. There's a number of projects that haven't funded the first time around. There's a, um, there's a cat game that funded, uh, I think like two years ago, two or three years ago at this point called Calico. Super cute cat cafe game, right? They launched, uh, their first goal was like $90,000 and they had essentially no community. And so I was kind of working with them a little bit and I was like, I think, I think this is not going to fund. I think you're going to have to maybe take another chance at this when you get more of a community. Sure enough, they spent about a year going to conventions and like really showcasing the game, building this massive, massive community. And they came back, I think they launched, I cannot remember, unfortunately for the life of me, what their, their second goal was. Uh, and they overfunded, they almost made $90,000 their second time around. I'm going to dig that up while you're answering this next question. <laughs> so do devs often understate the budget needed for their each of their goals and tiers? And how do you find the balance of to not ask for too little and to not ask for too much at each goal and tier? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. Like if your goals and your tiers specifically for your reward tiers, if that requires shipping, you're not going to be able to get that down to the absolute last penny or cent or whatever currency you're in. Um, you could do your best, but shipping rates, especially here in the US, are just all over the place. Um, so I would say rounding, whatever you think that number is, round up to the highest sort of like even number, right? So if you're like, this is probably going to be like 447 per box that I ship, round up to $5, right? So that's kind of the, I, that's my recommendation for things. Um, there's also like third party companies who kind of do this just in the sense of like fulfillment. I would, however, add for any digital game, try to stick with digital rewards. It's just going to be easier because, again, the shipping and the manufacturing of these things are wild. Um, finding the balance of too little or not ask for too much. So, I mean, again, that's sort of dependent on you and your goal. Um, I would say, again, one of the things that we found is for video games, 50,000 to about 150,000 seems to be the sweet spot. Um, but if you're like 35K is all I really need, cool, ask for 35K. What you do not want to do is ask, know that you need maybe a significant amount, let's say 150K. And you're scared you're not going to make that. So you ask for 50K and then just assume you're going to make it up in stretch goals. Don't do that. That was that became like a popular strategy early on in yeah. in, in Kickstarter. It's like, oh well, it, it, those of us in the industry are sitting back here going, no, because yeah. it's it, you're setting yourself up to fail there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the, go back to the Calico game real quick. You're talking about the board game. 
No. Video oh, workshop. Shit. I'm on the wrong one then. Never mind. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll keep digging. Um, all right. You did touch on something there that always comes up, and I, and I want to make sure that we we get it. There are a lot of third-party companies out there that promise to help you mm -hmm. do your Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you the eyeballs. We're going to do your community. Yeah. Pros, cons, warnings. How do those things generally work out? So I would say for marketing services, there's only like one or two that we would really recommend. The biggest is a company called Jellop, which is J-E-L-L-O-P. Um, they are great with ads. They do a lot of ads. Jell-Up ads are like, you know, fantastic. Um, there's a lot of companies that promise a lot of things. I would say if someone's like, if you pay me $2,000, I'll send a tweet for you. I would just ignore that entirely. Um, my general rule of thumb is you should do the research yourself. So if somebody's coming to also like if it sounds like it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. So if if there's a company that's coming to you and they're like, yeah, we've actually run a bunch of Kickstarter projects, do your research. And so that doesn't just mean like Googling them. Talk to people that have used those services, get the pros and the cons and also ask for what the pricing structures were. If you think it's it's something that you can afford in your budget and they seem legit and you're excited about it. Cool. Um, but also like it's OK to say no, that's fine. So, um, Deanna sent me the link. I found it now. And so this brings up a good, a good question on the Calico game. So mm -hmm. you said that they went for something like 90 grand I think the that first was time. First, yeah. And it didn't, it didn't happen. No. So the next time they came back and only asked for a very specific number, $29,995. Yes. But they raised 70 some. There Is go, there yeah. a strategy in there? If you're reposting a campaign, is, mm -hmm. is there a different pricing strategy? Is there a different way you approach it if you've already kind of failed the first time? Or is it you still... Fail. You just didn't fund. That's right. You didn't... It's very true. You just didn't fund. Is there a, a different strategy involved there? Sometimes. Some, sometimes people ask for the exact same amount. Um, it there's a lot of things that happen in in uh, projects who just didn't fund their first time around. Sometimes if they ask for too much, sometimes they ask for too little. In the sense of like, if you ask for like five dollars, people are like, oh, this is not real. Um, maybe they they didn't grow enough of a community. Maybe they launched on the wrong day. Maybe there was you know a global pandemic hit. You didn't see that coming. Um, there's a lot of different reasons as to like why projects don't fund their first time around. So it's about being able to kind of assess what's happening. In the case of Calico, I would say that, like, ultimately, um, they just didn't grow a community. Gotcha. All right. So let me see here. We have a lot of questions on Discord. They're not all coming through to comments yet, but they're all here. Okay. If you have a question and, like, let's say we don't get to it or I, you just don't want to ask a question because if you're me, I don't ask questions in public settings. Uh, you can email me. Uh, it's anya at kickstarter.com or you can email our games email, which is games at kickstarter.com or you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, which is at anyayna. Because it's a palindrome. It's a palindrome. Thought I was so creative when I made it oh so long ago. Still remember the book. The only reason I remember that word is because we read a book when I was in elementary school called Hannah is a palindrome. And yep. that's, that's it. And it turned out that Otto is also a palindrome. <laughs> <laughs> So do certain types of stretch goals or rewards increase the chances of success more than others? No. Good answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's the most direct answer I can give you is 
No. Because you're not supposed to be posting your stretch goals beforehand. Your stretch goals are not the core of the project. The core of the project is the initial amount. The stretch goals are just added things that can add value to the game that you want to be able to do. But no, the simple answer is stretch goals don't really add value to a project. All right. So this next one is a big one and I'm actually okay. going to post it here in chat so Great. I can link to it. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There are exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. We are developing a radically advanced retro game that uses our new memory mapper for the original Nintendo. We also intend to launch it for the PC. How can we market our game on Kickstarter in order to garner the interest of the much larger PC retro gaming community while also showing off the technology that we've developed that makes it a true cartridge NES game? NES games marketed as such never get funded on Kickstarter at the level that we need to complete the project. Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to, can we just leave that up? Because I have to kind of unpack it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I wanted to put it on there. Well, cool, thanks. Uh, so first of all, you want to reach out to the PC community and you want to reach out to the NES community. There is an NES community that exists. Part of the reasons these don't do well at the level that you're talking about on Kickstarter is that that community that exists on Kickstarter is incredibly small versus the Steam community, which is massive on Kickstarter, right? Like just straightforward Steam community. I would, let's see, I would target the cartridge community, the NES community, and the PC community, if that's through Discord, if that's through Twitter, if that's through, through Facebook groups. Um, but again, keep in mind, first-time creators typically see about 30 to 34% of their projects coming in through Kickstarter, and that, that goes for every single creator. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, that can be PC, NES, new tech, gaming hardware, tabletop even. Um, anticipate that about 30 to 34% of pledges are going to come in through Kickstarter. So that 65 to 70% of your pledges need to be sort of like a collection of, you know, a community that's NES, PC, new tech. And I had a question in the midst of that, that I completely forgot. So right. we'll go on to the next, you know, real question, and then it will circle back to my brain shortly. Cool. So uh, hi there. You said that you should never launch your project with visible stretch goals. Could you elaborate on that? Should you wait until the project is mostly funded to reveal them or when should you actually reveal them? When you reach your funding goal. So yeah, cut and dry. Don't, you don't release them prior to that. Correct. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Oh, okay. I remember my question now. So, you know, we saw a big rise in all kinds of revenue for the game industry last year because yes people are stuck at home and i'm i am assuming that that happened with kickstarter as well did we did yeah. you see more things getting funded or getting 
Art. Yeah, we had, man, we had one of our best years on record, which I, I feel like we talked about this last time. Probably, because it was only like December. Yeah, and I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Um, I mean, I'm happy and I'm happy for, I'm happy for games, I'm happy for Kickstarter, I'm happy for the creators, I'm happy for all of that. It just sucks that the juxtaposition of it is I'm watching a lot of my friends lose their yeah. jobs, have to move back home, have to move, you know, just, there's, there's a yin and a yang sort of situation here. Um, but we had our best record on year. We had the best record in everything related to games. Most projects launched, number of numbers of uh, projects that were funded, the amount of money that came in, it, it just, it really took off last year. Um, are we gonna continue that trend this year? I don't really know. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen. It's, you know, it's a bit of a wild west in that sense. Um, but we saw a huge, huge, huge influx of like the numbers of, again, the number of projects that launched. That's what I was concerned about was how many people are actually gonna launch Kickstarter projects because who knows what's gonna happen. And the games community was like, yeah, we're just gonna keep launching stuff. It's all good, we got this. So did you, so you did see more, not only more backing and more funding come in, but did you mm -hmm. see more projects launching too then? Yeah. 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 I think that's the big question right now. No one knows how it's going to, everybody keeps waiting for this rubber band effect and it hasn't happened yet. And well, yeah, well, that's kind of what I feel too. Yeah. So are there any specific campaigns that you would recommend to check out how they did it? Yeah. There's a project that's live right now called Coral Island. Um, it's our first million dollar video game project of the year. It's really exciting. It's from a team in Indonesia. Um, they're relatively unknown, at least here in the States. Um, I would check out what they did. They did an incredible job. Uh, yeah. And if someone would be kind enough to post that in chat or discord, the link that I would highly appreciate it. <laughs> um, all right. So from the discord, what is the Kickstarter stance on offering blockchain NFT collectibles as a digital reward for particular tiers? I'd have to double check what our policy is, but I'm not sure if we actually allow blockchain. I will double check that because I don't want to give incorrect information, but I'll be perfectly honest to you. I mix up blockchain and cryptocurrency. I don't understand the difference just because it's like such a foreign world to me. Um, it's either blockchain that we don't allow or it's cryptocurrency we don't allow. And I cannot remember which one it is. It may be cryptocurrency. I think it's cryptocurrency. Because that's the payment mechanism. Blockchain is the underlying technology that lets all sorts of stuff be completely, you know, individualized. Where you can like buy a sword in one mm -hmm. game, but then sell it legitimately to go something for another one because there's an honest to God track in there. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's okay, but I'll double check. Corey says uh, NFT are okay according to my reading of the TOS. So, Great. There you go. And stick around because Corey's next and he's going to talk about their experience on Kickstarter. Um, he, he's already cheating by trying to get answers. You know, here, I'll, I'll actually jump to his question next. What are some of the successful strategies that you see in the games category that oh, more game campaigns should adapt? I know Corey. Hi, Corey. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Again, that 30 seconds of gameplay is absolutely necessary. Um, let's see. Successful strategies. Um, so I don't know if I would say this is a successful strategy, but Elon Lee, who uh, 
is the creator of Exploding Kittens, has, which is like one of the biggest card games ever on Kickstarter. Um, I would say his method of using Kickstarter is brilliant in the sense of the way that he views the 30 to 35 days that you should run your project is it's essentially a party. And so day one is introducing everyone, right? Everybody's like, you're like, Hey, I'm having a party. Right. And all of the sort of like pre-launch stuff that happens leading up to that first day of launch is like a invitation. Essentially you're sending, you're sending invites out to the party. So then when the party happens, you're like, great. I want to keep everybody who's at this party at this party but I also want to make sure that they invite all their friends. So each day is an opportunity to release show or have people participate in something new that you've set up for the party. So if that's posting an update, if that's revealing something about the project, if that's revealing a new reward, if that's whatever it is, um, each day there's, there's another opportunity to sort of like, bring more people to the party and get the people who are already there to invite their friends. So we had a follow-up question for, from the mm -hmm. earlier. Can you expand on what we were, what we mean by the rubber band effect? No, <laughs> I am not great at explaining these things. Okay. So the rubber band effect for, for those of you out there, what we, what we mean when we talk about that is you think about a rubber band and you have your normal rubber band and then COVID hit and everybody's doing projects and funding. And we basically, that rubber band stretches due to the amount of funding that comes in. And there's all these new people. The mm -hmm. effect comes when we're all anticipating at some point, we're going to go back to our real jobs and we're going to have real things to do in the world. And we're not sitting around all day playing video games and board games. And they let go of that. You can't see my hands. They let go of that and the roar band shoots back. So what we're waiting on, and this just, this isn't just Kickstarter. This is literally the entire industry is talking about this. We've had so much expansion in terms of revenue coming in. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at what the switch has sold. You look at all of this stuff that has expanded so much we're all sitting back waiting for that revenue to condense again because of real world plus okay people are going to run out of money at some point in time if they still don't have a job yeah. you know on, on just that on we are very fortunate to be in an industry that has for lack of a better word prospered during this you know pandemic and sometimes we forget that you know millions of people have died and people are out of jobs and all this other stuff. So that rubber band effect is basically, this is what happens when, you know, all of that extra revenue goes away. It's going to come back and condense. Mm -hmm. So, um, all right, next question. What, what is the recommended delay between two campaigns? If it, doesn't fund it's not failing there you go. It does not fund the first time <laughs> um i mean i would definitely wait at least 30 days i think it's kind of a sus look if you're like well my project didn't fund and i'm gonna launch again in 24 hours it's like well did you learn anything did you take the time okay uh you, you need that time to kind of assess you need to see what's going on you need to kind of figure out like what went what what worked and what didn't work this first time around and what can i do better to ensure that my, the second time around this is going to be a better experience for my backers and myself and, I mean, and that's important you know across the board too 
It's yeah. like you need to, it, it's not that you just didn't fund, you need to understand why you didn't fund and you, you will get, I mean, I can, it, it's gonna, it, it also looks odd to the consumer. It's like, okay, you just now didn't fund and you're, you're yeah. relaunching again. So yeah, that's a good one. All right. So how early is too early to do a Kickstarter for a no-name studio making their first game? Uh, there's a couple of things there. So one, do you have gameplay? <laughs> that's a big one, right? So like, do you have gameplay that's viewable? Again, I would definitely look at Coral Island and kind of like see what they did. Um, so one is, do you have gameplay that's as close to what the final game is gonna look like as possible? And two, do you have a community? If you have those things, then you, then you can definitely like consider launching a Kickstarter. Are there any places that you, one of the biggest things that, that we see is projects failing because they didn't ask for enough funding or they failed because they didn't correctly calculate the amount of cost for sending out cat shaped socks to all of their you know consumers. Right. Is there a place that you recommend people go to get a good understanding of, okay, this is how you budget. This is how you need to you know, plan for reward costs and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure that you have a video about budgeting and financing. <laughs> I'm sure we do too. <laughs> I didn't know if you had something in particular. I mean, yeah, we do. It's on our, it's on our YouTube. Uh, yeah. had a very fantastic talk last session. I mean, last event about it. So, um, but you know, it, it is a different beast you have to have your budget for your game right but then you have yeah. to actually understand and, and that's where you said you know focus on digital rewards for a digital game so um all right so i'm trying to catch up if i have missed a question which i'm probably certain i have at some point in all of this post it again in the chat wherever you are we'll see it or drop it over in the discord because i've got that open as well and, and i'm flipping back and forth so Coral Island has been huge. I've actually been following that one myself. Yeah, it's wild. Do you see trends in the projects based on trends in the market? So, you know, yeah. Animal Crossing, obviously huge last year. We're yeah. seeing a whole lot of lifestyle sims. Yeah. Do those things correlate? Yeah. And how do, they, how do you stand out? Yeah. So we had like four sims launch over this, just like towards the beginning of this year. Uh, alone, and it makes sense because Animal Crossing success, Animal Crossing things like that. Um, I mean, I would say like it's hard to say that there's a trend with like retro platformers just because like one they're pretty easy to make, and two um, they're just really really fun and common. Everybody wants everybody wants to make the next Mario, right? Like that's kind of I think what it comes down to. Um, puzzle games are also really popular. Like there's there's just there's certain genres that are just popular no matter what um in terms of standing out like you need to be able to answer that question i can't answer that question for you why do you say that your game is so popular is going to be so popular why do you think that your game is different from everything else are there certain genres that you see do well or not so well yeah. does kickstarter have a demographic that you need to aim at or is it very yeah. well i mean i would say two things we one of the cool things about kickstarter is like we are it depending on who you ask we're a tech company but we're also like sort of a tech adjacent company right like we're like 
it's tech, but um, we are the only tech company, uh, or at least one of the few that we don't collect data. We're not a data. We're not like a data farming, data mining company. I don't. I couldn't tell you, you know, anything about our backers in terms of like their demographics. Not for me to know. I don't. I don't want to know. So. Um, sometimes it's a little frustrating for creators because they're like, I want to know, you know, all this data. And I'm like, well, too bad. Um, <laughs> also, like, Start Googling because there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm also like, I love that we don't, you know, uh, provide that information. Uh, I would say that like it, some of this is like common sense, just in the sense of like first person shooters are not going to do well because it costs a lot of money to make a first person shooter. Um, RPGs do well, but like RPGs to like Dragon Age, God of War, Mass Effect, that level of, a, of an RPG, that's probably not going to come on Kickstarter just because again, that's a game that takes like 10 years to make, you know, minimum of 30 people. We're talking 150 hours of gameplay, whatever, you know, something like an Assassin's Creed, whatever. Um, smaller RPG experiences, things that are on itch is what our wheelhouse is. That's a good analogy. I not about that, but yeah. Because I mean, obviously, if you're saying the sweet spot is 50 to 150k, you're not going to make Mass Effect for 100 to 150k. That's just the reality of it. Um, any opinion on or the experience with doing a Patreon campaign alongside, given that it's funding like Kickstarter, yet it's very different? Is are there certain, and not just Patreon, but are there other? campaigns like early access are there other symbiotic things that you can do to help yeah so pros and cons here i would say the thing to keep in mind is um so first i think it's really important to note that like any when you have a live Kickstarter, the only thing that counts towards your Kickstarter is money that comes in through that Kickstarter. So if you're like, well, we also have a PayPal, great, that doesn't count towards a Kickstarter goal. It's not going to. Um, it's only the money that comes in through the Kickstarter. So early access is great because it means that you can grow a community. That's another community building tool. Um, Patreon is another community building tool. Um, those are totally fine, but again, any money that comes in, it it can only the for the Kickstarter goal amount, it's only going to count if it comes into Kickstarter. So your your pro is that you may be hitting a bigger audience, but your con there is, you know, if, if you need 100K on Kickstarter and you get 80K at Kickstarter and 30K from Patreon, you're not getting your 80K because you didn't hit it. So yeah, it's, it's the balance of, of making sure that you've got everybody in the right place. You know, you're... you're yeah. You're, cannib you're cannibalizing your own project. You know, exactly. Yeah. So from YouTube, what has more possibility to succeed? A good niche game or something for a much broader broader audience? Um, we're air frying some fries over here. Nice. <laughs> and mine, mine has all these dolls. I have never, I've got like four dolls on my, you know, toaster air fryer whatever and i'm like i don't know who did the ui on this but it sucks okay this so, great. look it's pretty straightforward i think you can see it yeah that's way easier than mine yeah yeah that's uh my air fryer is famous yes. <laughs> yes, your air fryer is famous <laughs> uh, <laughs> so 
Uh, I totally forgot the question. Oh, here it is. It's right in front of me because I'm an idiot. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, so I would say this depends on the community. So for broader audience, I mean, again, I, I can't really answer this question because it's not, that's not really how Kickstarter works. Um, a niche game is cool and interesting. Um, something for a broader audience, it depends. Um, Let me rephrase it. Let me, cause, I mean, because it, it's something that, that does come up a lot. I mean, we have seen, and I t frequently talk about how Kickstarter is the savior of certain genres. Right. You know, if, if it weren't for a Kickstarter, we wouldn't have space sims for you know for better or for worse <laughs> but a lot of these genres that you know for years publishers were like we're not touching that because there's not enough you know fans yeah. of it. but they go to a kickstarter and you know it, it gets funded and they're very successful and you know we see that with you know sim management games and a lot of these life simulations and farm games three years ago if i had taken a stardew valley to a publisher they would have been like no way in hell that's not going to happen but these niche titles get you know funded through there the problem is and this is you know you referenced this with the platformers the running joke that i make is let's do another you know metroidvania with a woman who has red hair and a sword because there's like six of them off the top of my head that we yeah. can you know rattle yeah. off and visit are there certain niches that you see that are underutilized that have room for growth and are there certain niches and genres that you're just like oh my god do not send me another woman with red hair and a sword jumping around a screen i mean i would say that's kind of the cool part of my job is i don't have to make those those decisions because i am not in a place of content uh development anymore my job here is to make sure that people have the tools in order to make them as successful as I possibly can on the platform. I do not get to be a gatekeeper. I do not get to decide, you know, I, there are projects and games and genres that I personally don't like that I see and I will support them to the best of my ability because that is my job. And that is something that I take very seriously and hold very dear. Um, and there are certain genres and certain games and certain, things that I love that don't do well. And it's a little disheartening sometimes, but like, it's also not my role or my responsibility to be a gatekeeper for content. So if you believe in your project and you have a community that you come to Kickstarter with, that's already like, you're already ahead of the curve. In terms of like, if you have an RPG, you're gonna be successful. No, because okay, you have an RPG, but like what makes it different from all, all the other RPGs out there? And did you grow a community? Did you, do you have your 30 seconds of gameplay? Like what, what do you have here? That's more important than trying to target. Like I want to have a successful Kickstarter project. So I'm going to make sure that I replicate this formula. That's not really how it works. All right. I'm going to answer two questions for you real quick because okay. they're, they're, you've already answered them. So FM Productions says, is there a funding percent where Kickstarter starts to push the project further up a categories, everything handpicked, how you increase visibility? It is all done organically they do it all hand curation and your best bet is to look like you know what you're doing and have a very well thought out program and then they'll take you seriously talk to so, me oh what huh talk to me oh yeah an email on you uh 
<laughs> Alina says, how early is too early? Before you have a demo, you need 30 seconds, at least 30 seconds of really good gameplay. Mm -hmm. And you need a community because only 30 or 35% of your first project of funding is going to come from people that aren't already in your, see, I'm getting good at this. Um, I'll hire you. How's that? <laughs> okay. The, um, uh, and I'm probably going to know the answer to this, but you're, I'm going to ask you anyway, because they yeah. ask, what's okay. your opinion on community equity, such as FIG? Well, FIG doesn't do community equity. They do, uh, they do equity crowdfunding. That's two different things. Um, we do not believe in uh, equity crowdfunding just because, uh, we really believe that being as independent as possible is key here. Um, that's not to say that we discourage people from doing equity crowdfunding. If that's what you want to do, great. You should absolutely go do that. Uh, fries are done. The fries are being shook. What's the whole thing that happened there? See, I have an air fryer in my apartment. My air fryer doubles as a grill. A It's an air fryer, a grill, it bakes, and it um, roasts. Oh, and, and it's a dehydrator. See, Abon does like four different things too, but it doesn't do any of those things. It does the air frying, roasting. I tried to dehydrate and I, I'm very lucky. I sliced off most of this part of my thumb when I tried to dehydrate. Most of this part of my thumb over the summer was gone because I sliced it on a mandolin to dehydrate apples. Okay. I was like, how did you slice your thumb while you were dehydrating something? Okay. <laughs> slice your thumb while you were slicing something. Yeah, I was trying I was gonna use the dehydrator for like dehydrated apples and then I just like sliced and then I looked down and I went, Oh, part of my thumb is gone. Well, that's that's that, probably bad. <laughs> that slicer works very well. That's the yes. um yeah. DJ Max nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we've only got like five minutes left because this is always so fun. And I do appreciate you you coming on to all yeah, of our conferences and doing this. <laughs> um, so FM Productions, for all any questions that you missed, don't worry. We don't gatekeep any of our content. Nothing's sealed off in a vault. You can literally in five minutes go back and watch the very beginning of this. And then if you have questions, pop them over on our Discord and we'll, we'll keep answering them. So any parting thoughts that you have, any, you know, last pieces of wisdom and, and recommendations? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I'm here as a resource. Like you can reach out to me anytime. Um, games at kickstarter.com or Anya, A-N-Y-A at kickstarter.com. Happy to help in any way that I possibly can. Um, careful of a mandolin. It'll slice your finger off. Make sure you either wear a glove or practice beforehand. Um, or use the guard. Um, <laughs> or actually use the safety equipment that comes with it. Didn't know. Yeah, no, just, but now, you you don't learn these things until you actually, you, until um, you actually do it. So, yeah. Also, um, frozen fries are wonderful and we should eat more of them. <laughs> it's amazing the difference that an air fryer actually makes because oh it, my it, God. it really... <laughs> When I learned to make chicken wings in the air fryer, I was like, holy shit, this is like groundbreaking technology that we have here now. I did a lot of pineapple grilling in my air fryer because it doubles as a grill over the summer. You, you don't have the big fold out George Foreman that does that? No, I live in New York City. <laughs> well, trust me, I bet your kitchen is about the same as ours because we moved into our vacation house that wasn't meant to be actually lived oh, in. Oh, yeah. So, well, like it's a half kitchenette half living room i really like it though because i live alone and so like i have a pretty sizable apartment for a 
single woman living in New York City. Um, but I also have roof access, which is really cool. And so when I moved in, I'm really good friends with my neighbors. There's, there was just a, there's somebody just left a grill on our roof. And so we go up there and we grill and have like beers on the roof every summer. Well, of course, because who in the hell wants to move a grill off the roof of a place no, in New York? It's like a small, it's like, oh. <laughs> it's not a massive grill. I'm talking like a small, like, you know, one that you would buy for like 20 bucks at like Target. It, it it's works. great though. And they have, we also have electricity up there. So I think I'm going to put a crock pot up there for the summer. Very nice. So I, bought, I did buy, sorry, this is just very silly. And I feel like it's important to note. I did buy for, was it Christmas or New Year's that we did the queso? For Christmas, I was like, I want to make queso. I bought a mini crock pot just to make queso. There's nothing wrong with that. The best purchase I think I've ever made. No. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an absolutely justifiable reason for buying a crock pot. That's... Yeah. Also, I would love people to send me their queso recipes because I tried and it was like chalky. It was like a chalky substance. And I don't know what I did wrong. I don't understand. And this is a sore point with me as well. No matter what we buy in the store or mm -hmm. what we try to make from the internet, nothing is as good as like authentic Mexican restaurant queso. And I don't know what secret they're harboring, mm -hmm. but we need to figure this out. So I think it's I think it's a couple different things. I'm also a native Californian, so my thoughts on Mexican food are very strong. And are um, you putting avocados in your queso? Is that in my case? No, I'm not a monster. Come on. I Cal California put avocados in everything. So I just have to add. You put it on top of everything. <laughs> Two very distinct things there. So every time there's a shortage, I'm like, if y'all would stop putting it on top of every damn thing that you make, there wouldn't be an avocado shortage. Jay, I feel like I haven't shown you this before, and you're going to think differently of me. That's okay. But I do have an avocado. Oh, my God. That is <laughs> Hold on. There we go. That is the most California thing I think I have ever been seen. That is... What? All right, all right, so Corey, we're going to be a couple of seconds late here. Yeah, sorry about that, Corey. What possessed you to get an avocado tattoo? Why not? Which, okay, good. All right, whatever. I did. <laughs> I, <laughs> and with that, and <laughs> the the avocado tattoo. All right. <laughs> that was. That I mean, look, it honestly makes more sense than a lot of tattoos that I've seen. So it's it's it's, it's, it's all good. Uh, thank you so much. All right, so yeah. everybody, if you've got more questions, we have an entire go to the Discord. It's discord.gg slash indie game business, and ask questions there. Anya's there. If she's not, there's a ton of us there that do this stuff. And stay tuned because right in about two minutes, we're going to have the Trees Brothers who have had literal years of success on Kickstarter and they may or may not have been cheating and grabbing questions out of, you know, this one as well, but they're going to give you, you know, what's, what's the actual formal name here? Best practices for Indies or kicking bad crowdfunding habits. Thank you. Enjoy your fries. And if you get that awesome queso recipe, I want it too. Awesome. I'll definitely send it to you. Thanks everybody. Stick tight. We'll be right back. Everybody. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.